Hey, it's Johanna Masca. This week on Press Advance, we need to talk about News Nation is posting the fourth Republican debate. Mick Mulvaney, my guest today, and I will be there together. We are both News Nation contributors, but Mick, of course, has a distinguished career. Mick Mulvaney served as acting White House Chief of Staff, Director of the Office of Management and Budget, Director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and the United States Special Envoy for Northern Ireland, all in the Trump administration. And before that, he was a congressman from the great state of South Carolina. Mick, I am very grateful for you joining me, not least of which because you and I got a little bit of a tip before this recording that News Nation has indeed put a fifth podium on the stage of the next Republican debate in case your former boss, President Donald Trump, decides to come to this debate. What do you make of that? Listen, nobody else has even come close to doing that. He was very clear in the previous three debates that he would never, ever, ever show up. Uh, he even went so far, Johanna, as you remember, to schedule counter-programming. He would do rallies someplace on the same night at the same time as those other debates. And he apparently yet hasn't done that. I understand from the folks that you and I work with that some people within the campaign may have been reaching out about what happened if he would show up, et cetera, et cetera. I actually, when I first saw the, the video of it, I was wondering if we were doing something else. I wondered if we were putting out a blank podium for him, that he was invited and it would just leave it empty all night. I thought that would have been interesting as well. But listen, if he shows up, I think that's great. It would make some sense. You know, look, I don't know how much benefit there is for him to be on a stage with six, seven, eight, nine other people. But right now, I think there's only three confirmed other participants. We know Nikki Haley is qualified. We know that uh, Ron DeSantis is qualified. We know Vivek Ramaswamy has qualified. We're not clear yet on whether or not the RNC is going to say that, uh, that Christie can be there under the rules and so forth. So if Donald Trump only has to share a stage with three or four people, that's a lot more airtime for him and it's a more reason for him to show up. So I think it's fascinating to watch and to sort of speculate as to whether he shows up at the last minute. Well, and we've got some incredible moderators. I mean, Elizabeth Vargas, you and I both know well because she's the host of Elizabeth Vargas Reports on News Nation. Megyn Kelly, I actually really enjoyed her debate when she was, of course, holding power to account the last time. And it's been interesting to me because she did an interview with President Trump in this campaign cycle, and I thought it was the most humanizing of his interviews. I, I don't know that he liked it. I think he shared on social media that he didn't like it afterwards <laughs> as he normally does. But I thought it was actually pretty humanizing. Eliana Johnson with the Washington Free Beacon is the third host. She was on TV. She was on the Hill last night with us on News Nation. She was fabulous. Uh, she was on the panel discussion. We missed you this week um, on on the Hill on the panel, uh, but Eliana was there last night and she was she was great. So I'm really lo looking forward. I don't know her. I'm not familiar with the Washington Free Beacon. That was not one of the outlets I worked with closely when I was in Congress within the White House. So that was really my first exposure to her last night, and I think she's going to be a great host. So. You've got some really, really good folks. There's going to be some interesting things happening off camera as well. I think you and I are going to be sort of there for a day or two before, a day or two after, hopefully talking to some of the candidates and folks working the campaign. So it's going to be a lot of interesting things happening at one time. Well, and News Nation is really moving all primetime programming, almost all, to Tuscaloosa for this debate. I was saying on Media Mix, which is another Global Situation Room produced podcast with Claire Atkinson, 
I am thrilled about News Nation getting this debate because I don't think there's any other place, Mick, that's got Obama people with Trump people having actually honest conversations. And you were actually with a different network before this trying to just tell the truth. And maybe it wasn't the right fit. (laughs) If I told you the story about how they pitched this to me and how I signed up here, it's a really interesting story. Someone I'd worked with in the White House reached out to me and said, look, you're going to get a call from some folks at News Nation. You don't know who they are, but they're for real. Uh, You need to take them seriously. And I talked to uh, somebody high up at the network and I asked them what they were doing. And they said, look, we want to create something that's right down the middle. And I said, that sounds really, really boring to me because every time I see somebody who's right down the middle and I know a lot of those folks, they just they're, they're not very interesting. And they said, look, we're not trying to get down the middle by getting people who are down the middle. We're trying to go down the middle by getting people who are from the right side and from the left side who can talk to each other like adults and have reasonable conversations so that the viewer can sort of have both sides of the argument and make up for themselves, make up their own minds as to where they might come down on any particular issue. And that was of interest to me. They would never pair me with you on Fox. They would never pair me with you on CBS or anything like that. But the fact you and I can work together, you come from one perspective, I come from another. And we have an adult conversation about the topics of the day. And it's worked. I mean, it's been great. The ratings have been good. I don't know if you see the, um, there's some folks in Colorado, I think, that do an analysis on bias in the media. And they look at all the stories, they run it through some algorithm that I'm not familiar with. And sure enough, MSNBC comes out way on the left, Fox comes out way on the right, and we come out right smack dab down the middle, even though we've got Trump people and Obama people on the network every single night. So it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun, and it will be interesting to see how this debate is different because of that. I agree, and I think that the other networks have built themselves up so that their viewers expect something. They expect partisan news. And the thing I love about News Nation is people don't come to us for an expectation. They come to us for news. And that's by basis of, you know, the real root of News Nation is the local stations that were bought by Nexstar. WGN, the reputable station in Chicago, is our headquarters. And that is what they're focused on. So I am thrilled about that. Speaking of maybe more partisan debates. I thought Ron DeSantis was going to foxtrot into this debate, having been set up by Hannity with my now governor, Gavin Newsom, on, of course, the debate stage that they had, the red versus blue debate. But I don't think it went very well for anybody. Did you watch the debate? I thought it was horrible. I thought it was a train wreck. I gave up after 20 minutes. I was really interested in seeing, I I, I hate to use these words again, an adult conversation about two states that have gone, that looked at the same problems and tried to come at it from different directions. I thought that intellectually would have been really, really fascinating to watch. I didn't get that. I got yelling and screaming. I thought Sean Hannity was horrible as a host last night, completely lost control of things. I thought the two candidates did a poor job. They talked over each other the entire time. And I mean, look, I wanted to watch it intellectually. I'm curious about it because of my background, what I do. And I could not bear to watch it longer than 15 or 20 minutes. So it's a real lost opportunity. I would have, you know, I I thought it was a huge upside potential for Ron DeSantis, a huge upside potential for Gavin Newsom. In fact, if they had done it properly last night, they both could have benefited. My guess is Ron looked bad last night. 
the this uh, Newsom looked bad and Fox looked the worst. My guess is that my takeaway from this first couple of months worth of debates is that Fox is not capable, not capable of running a debate properly. They have no idea how to do it. There's nobody there who has prepped them on how to do it. They have done three really bad debates right now. And I look forward to uh, running rings around them on News Nation next week. <laughs> well, it's it is a challenge to keep these politicians honest. How do I really feel? Why don't you ask me how I really feel about it? Claire? But it was yeah, so, so even the visuals. <laughs> what happened is they'd start talking about something. Like Gavin jumped in at one point. He was talking about book bans, and then Ron is standing there, and there's a split screen, and he starts looking like DeSantis is looking more and more uncomfortable, and he's trying to smile, and then he would try to like hold the smile. It was like these weird things. But in the end, you know, you didn't necessarily get the substance. And I was frustrated about that because on COVID, for example, you know, they did talk about COVID. Now, I will say I traveled to Florida after living in California during the debate. I traveled in early 2021 to visit my family in Florida. And everybody said California was so locked down and all of these things. And our schools were. And that was a problem. Although our specific district started doing technology pods where you could go to a location and zoom in with your teacher. I thought it was such a learning loss. So I wanted to get real data. But when I went to Florida, there were way more masks than there were in California. There was way more like signage on what you had to do. They did handle it differently, but I don't think that it was so open on one side or so closed on the other side. And both states had lower per capita death rates than other states. Some could have to do with our weather. But that was, I think, why Newsom did so well in that election. I paid close attention to the 22 election in Florida because I have I have a home there. I've spent some time there and I know Ron, right? And we know it was a, supposedly a swing state. And he did extraordinarily well. I think he won by half a point in 2018 and won by nearly 20 points in 2022. So it may be, Johanna, that what both governors did um, is exactly what their state wanted them to do. Um, And that they tailored their response to the folks they represent, which is not the wrong way to go about it. But again, I didn't get to that part of the debate. You started by saying how uncomfortable Ron looked and so forth. One of my takeaways in the first 15 minutes was that Ron looked uncomfortable, Newsom looked smug, and Hannity looked like he had no idea what was going on. And that was just, (laughs) that was not good television because it was a chance for DeSantis to sort of you know, it cement himself, remind people why he is a contender for president, okay? And why he was at one point the far and away second choice to Donald Trump. He's a really good governor in a really important state under really tough circumstances. And he had a chance last night to remind people why they liked him six months ago. Newsom had a chance to sort of speak to a new audience because it's it's Fox for crying out loud. Granted, they're not his voters, but it is a new audience for him. And if he wanted to sort of, you know, either position himself for 2028 or remind everybody that, hey, you know, if Biden gets hit by an asteroid, here I am uh, and I'm ready and look at how good I am. He dropped the ball on that as well. So it was a huge lost opportunity. You make some really good points. But as a viewer, I can't 
have that conversation with you because I gave up before they got to that part of the debate. Well, you definitely gave up then before one of the last lines, (laughs) which we will play for our listeners, where Gavin essentially said, when are you going to give up and give Nikki Haley a shot to take on Donald Trump? This is just a reminder. uh, You know, I think it's a question some people are probably asking. I know Nikki Haley's campaign is asking, when are you going to drop out and at least give Nikki Haley a shot to take down Donald Trump in this nomination? She laid you out. You're a walking hypocrite. You You know better than I that there's likely a force within the Republican Party that is very devoted and dedicated to Donald Trump being the nominee. But that is not everyone. And there is another lane. And if there are too many candidates in that lane, they could divide it. So let's talk about Nikki Haley. Every single debate, Mick, you served with Nikki Haley. I wasn't expecting much. I don't know what I was expecting. You know, I had read Mike Pompeo's book, and he calls her a lightweight in his book. So I didn't go into this thinking, oh, Nikki Haley is going to blow us all away. Every single debate that I have watched her at, Mick, I've walked away and said, I'm a Democrat. But like what Jamie Dimon's saying, I am very interested in her because she's telling the truth in many cases about even the spending under Republican administrations. She's had a great couple of weeks. There's no question. She seems to be the second place sort of choice right now. As to Gavin Newsom's question, uh, as you know, when are you going to drop out? It's a cheap shot because this is a business where you can say one thing at the debate and go from second place to fifth. You just can't. The voters are still sort of moving around looking for candidates at this time. A lot of them haven't committed to their choice. You know, you could have just as fairly, I suppose, asked Nikki Haley six weeks ago, when are you going to drop out so that Ron DeSantis can be the the chosen second place? So I'm not sure that's a that's a very productive question for Gavin Newsom to ask sort of a gotcha question. It doesn't it doesn't sort of encourage uh, meaningful debate on any particular issues. She's done really well. I'll be curious to see if she can withstand the sort of attack that Donald Trump is famous for. I actually think she will. I think she's better at taking those types of hits um, than other candidates uh, have been because she's been used to it forever. The 2010 race she ran uh, was was very, very nasty. So she's got some experience in in tough elections. South Carolina politics is knife fighting. It, it absolutely is. It's one of the nastiest places in the world to run for office. So she's got some experience here. I think she'll she'll do well. As to the larger issue about that second lane, and, you know, can you clear the second lane? Here's the question I would ask Nikki. Nikki, I get it, um, and I think you've done a great job. Tell me how you are going to get the George Bush wing of the party, who she's getting now. The people that are lining up behind her are the anti-Trumpers, okay? It's the neocons, it's the George Bushes, it's the Mitt Romney, it's the John McCain wing of the party. And that's a, that's a really good chunk of the party probably 35 or maybe even as much as 40% of the party these days. But second place doesn't pay anything in this business. You have to get to 51%. How are you going to get those votes and get people who say they're going to vote for Trump to come away from Trump and vote for you? And I haven't seen anybody, not, not Nikki Haley, not Ron DeSantis, not Chris Christie, lay out a plan for how to do that yet. And I'm not sure you can do it. If Donald Trump was polling at 35%, 
then that other lane you describe is is wide open and you can use ride that lane all the way to the nomination. If Donald Trump is polling at 55 or 60 percent, then all you're fighting for is second place. And again, we only pay one place in this business, and that's first. I'm looking forward to seeing her on the stage in that smaller group again in Tuscaloosa on News Nation. But I haven't yet seen anybody, her included, articulate how they beat Trump. I, I think they're all figuring out a way on how to finish second. And in this business, that means you're still finishing last. Well, and can I challenge you on this? You know her. You worked with her. You were also a member of uh, the far-right groups, you know, when you were involved in Congress and you've been a fiscal hawk. It seems to me that she also has been kind of MAGA before MAGA existed in some ways. I mean, really railing against the pay of state legislators being increased without a roll call vote, which I know you also, you know, have familiarity and have been a, you know, transparency advocate. But some of those issues... I feel like she's actually taken on some of the financial, the fiscal issues. Now, the foreign policy, maybe not so much, but am am I wrong about that? No, no. She was a Tea Party candidate in 2010. She ran for governor in 2010. I ran for Congress in 2010. We both won. So we're both Tea Party candidates. If she had ended up in Congress with me, I'm absolutely certain she would have been a member of the Freedom Caucus with us. Um, The question is this, is, is the party conservative these days? Or is it popular? And and that's a different sort of conversation. Donald Trump is not a conservative. Donald Trump is a a Trump populist. That is what MAGA means. I know that the left wants you to think MAGA means fascist or Nazi or whatever. MAGA really means you're a Trump populist. Um, And that doesn't describe Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley would be a lot more neoconservative on foreign policy than than I would be. But on fiscal issues, we would be fairly similar. Um, So yeah, she is conservative. And she is sort of that pre-MAGA Republican Party, but the Republican Party is different than it was when she and I were first elected in 2010. I'm not going to go back and work for Donald Trump, even if he asked me, because I'm not a populist. That's not what I am about. I'm a constitutional conservative, um, and I think that's where Nikki is as well. But I don't know how you—I couldn't get many Trump voters to vote for me uh, because of my conservative bona fides, right? That's not how it happens. You have to be a populist, and I'm not there. And I'm not sure how you get the establishment wing of the party and some of the Trump populist wing of the party uh, as the same candidate. I just don't know how you do that. The real question here, Johanna, is which part of the party is bigger? Are the conservatives in charge or are the populists in charge? And my guess is right now it's the populists. That's very interesting. And it's a nuance that, you know, I think any of these candidates would have to take on. But in the general election, Mick, when we've seen the razor thin margins that Joe Biden had in some of these swing states, you know, the last time around and razor thin meaning like there's no reason why we should think that the election wasn't won, but it is like our majority in like the amount we won by in Michigan was so slim that the Muslim population in the state of Michigan is larger than that percentage that we won by. So if there is a frustration with how Joe Biden has rolled out the war in Israel, it could affect those numbers. Nikki Haley, to me, 
she gets the women who turned away from the Republican Party, the suburban moms, at a much greater clip than Donald Trump could actually retain them. So I see it as if you actually do want a candidate, and I want a fair fight. I said we were all together at our 15-year anniversary of Obama's victory party, and some people were saying, Nikki Haley will be much harder to beat. And I said, I don't care. And there were a lot of people who agreed with me, who said, I want a fair fight with someone who, you know, at their root has been in this because they care about the country and not themselves. And, you know, we can have policy disagreements, but that is important to me. And you worked with Donald Trump. My perspective on the outside, I mean, I didn't know what to expect when he first went in. And then it seemed to be all him all the time. What's going to be a Trump 2.0? Yeah, if your point is this, would Nikki Haley beat Joe Biden? Probably. In fact, I think she'd probably crush him. She's probably the Republican that the Democrats fear the most as we sit here and have this conversation today. That can change in short order in this business. But as we sit here from a static viewpoint, she's probably the Republican that the Democrats fear the most. But I think DeSantis would probably beat Biden. I think Vivek Ramaswamy would beat Joe Biden. By the same token, I think that any other Democrat would crush Donald Trump. If you put Newsom up, if you put Pritzker up, if you put Gretchen Whitmer up, they would just crush Trump, that both parties seem to be getting ready to nominate their weakest candidate, that Trump is probably the only Republican who could lose to Biden, and Biden's the only Democrat who could lose to Trump. But that's not how the system works, right? The primary voters get to pick. You guys do it a little bit differently than we do because of your superdelegates, but you don't have anybody else running. You know, unless something dramatic changes, it's going to be Biden. All the folks who have these sorts of conversations, lose perspective that they are not the typical American voter. The typical American voter doesn't do this kind of analysis. They just know who they like. And right now, they vote. They like, Don, they like Joe Biden and they like Donald Trump. And that looks like the matchup that we're going to get. Let's hope it's not. I think these debates make a huge difference. And <laughs> I do, I think, you know, I, when I watch Trump avoid these debates, I think it reeks of the same arrogance that the Clintons had that that we used to take Hillary Clinton down with President Obama, because when you don't show up, you know, you're really missing that opportunity. And to your point on the populist versus, you know, hawkish kind of dynamic, I think people in Galesburg, Illinois, and in like small town in Michigan, they want people who are going to really fight for their jobs and fight for their economic opportunities. And so I do think there's a potential for those Republican candidates. The Democrats are trying to do this through unions and trying to talk about like how to bring about a more equal society. But to try to have that conversation with voters in a way where, you know, Donald Trump, you got your mind made up. Am I wrong about that? Like, don't most Americans have their mind pretty made up on him? Yeah, yeah, no, the the politician in the country that most people have already made their minds up, the the number one candidate for that job would would be Donald Trump. But number two is Joe Biden. And, you know, don't think there's a lot of undecided voters out there about Joe Biden either. Uh, If it comes to Trump's participation in in the debate, Listen, I hope he shows. I really do. I think it's good for him. 
Um, I think it's good for the process. But if he doesn't, the reason he's not going to show up is that he's winning by 40 points. Um, he, he just is. And I'm not, I don't remember the numbers, Johanna, from 15 years ago when it was uh, when by, excuse me, when uh, Clinton and Obama were going at it at the primary. My guess is it was closer than that. We knew that Clinton was the favorite in some places by a fairly wide margin, but it wasn't, you know, 65 to 12, um, you know, which is what it is in some of these states right now. So you can't blame Trump for not doing it. He hasn't won yet. And if he wants to win, I think showing up for the American people is pretty darned important. Listen, I want him to show up. I really do. I think it would be fascinating to watch. I'd be curious to see his demeanor, how he goes after it. Because this is the one thing, and we talked about this a few minutes ago. I'm not sure his regular sort of methods will work on Nikki Haley the way they've worked on so many other candidates. Um, she's, she's just tougher than Carly Fiorina. Um, she's tougher than, than Ben Carson. She's tougher than Marco Rubio. She just is. That's, that's her nature. That's her background. She's done this before. She can, she can handle it in, in such a way and she could push back. So by the way, can Chris Christie. I just don't think Chris Christie has caught on in the Republican party. I just worry that he's not going to get the percentage to show. I agree. Nationally, Chris Christie is not caught on. I do see some data that says he's got a lifeline in New Hampshire. Again, he's not beating Donald Trump, but he's not he's not dead in the water in New Hampshire either. So I'd be curious to see if that translates to enough support to get him on the stage in Tuscaloosa. Well, I got to say, Mick, I am so thrilled for people to get to see News Nation on television uh, with the fair coverage that we're going to have. Uh, anyone who wants to tune in to this debate and all of the stuff we're doing leading up to there can go to joinnewsnation.com and find their channel. It is on cable. Wherever you get your cable, I watch it on YouTube TV. You can get it many different places, but joinnn.com, join News Nation, and you will see a very fair debate. So I'm thrilled, Mick. I can't wait to see you in Tuscaloosa. I'm, it's going to be a blast. I, I cannot wait to do it. I will see you down there. I'm grateful for the community we're building on Press Advance. Each week, we're going to try to have a refreshingly honest conversation with different perspectives represented. We're also not going to be perfect. So we want your feedback, your thoughts. You can find me on social media at Johanna Masca and follow Press Advance wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is produced by Situation Room Studios with a talented team led by the former Bloomberg Politics executive producer, Christine Barada. My thanks to all involved.